Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Cultural Capital. I'm Andy Hazel. I'm Eloise Ross. And I'm Anders Furs. Well, um, welcome back from MIF, everyone. Now that we've caught up, some, up with uh, some sleep and emerged from the excitingly impressive environment of um, the various MIF cinemas, we can look at what's playing in the cinemas around Melbourne. And today we'll be sharing our picks from movie, opening the Cultural Capital Film Diary and counting down our top three girl gangs in cinema. But first we pack our bags and head to New Orleans for some boozing, brawling and graphic fruit-based depictions of fellatio with Girls Trip. How long has it been? I don't know, two years maybe. You're getting some this weekend. Straight up, you're going to get at least two dicks this weekend. For crying out loud, Dina, we only going to be there for three days. Well, three dicks then. You know what? I need you to use your lady mouth. I need you to use your lady mouth. (laughs) We haven't hung in five years. This weekend is about us. We are here together. Today is the last day that we will ever be this young. I'm about to get pregnant tonight. Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Regina Hall and Tiffany Haddish star in Girls Trip, the first American comedy to make over $100 million at that country's box office this year. Director Malcolm D. Lee, probably most well-known for Scary Movie 5 and Soul Men, um, and fun fact, he's Spike Lee's cousin, uh, directs the comedy. The film follows these four women who went to college together where they became best friends and members of their self-titled girls gang, which they call the Flossy Posse. The four women vaguely lose touch, but plan a reunion to attend the Essence Festival in New Orleans. This is a real life event, which emerged out of Essence magazine, a monthly magazine for African-American women. So they go along to this um, festival and comedic shenanigans ensue, as well as a dramatic arc courtesy of Regina Hall's character, Ryan Pierce, a motivational speaker who proudly declares that you can have it all. The rest of the movie intersperses a variety of set pieces that are alternately serious and funny. Andy, did you want to hitch a ride on this girl's trip? Uh, Yeah, I did. It does make um, New Orleans and Essence Festival look pretty incredible. I'm not sure if this is a realistic depiction of these places, but (laughs) I think their experience was five star for a pretty good reason. Um, This film is great fun. It's really well paced. It moves along. It's flashy. It's loaded with product placement which yes. is also something that's a feature of a film we'll discuss later in our top three. It's, uh, it was some fantastically charismatic performances. I really liked all four of the main women. I thought they, you know, they really inhabited those roles really well. There's some fantastic, what feels like very genuine chemistry between them. Uh, the dialogue, I thought, was, was really bawdy, but it was fine. It was, like, fun. It's been marketed as a hangover but for African-American women, which I don't think it is. It's also been thrown in with Rough Night, which I don't think it's got much in common with either. I, I thought it was good fun, but also I don't know if I'll remember that well by the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, it was it was good. You know, we were given cocktails at the screening, which, you know, is something that I imagine would, this film would match with quite well if you're watching it at home on a streaming service later or if you're going to the movies. It's You know, it's it's good fun. Yeah, it's a champagne night out. You mentioned Rough Night, the comparisons with Rough Night. And I do think that maybe, you know, just in this character archetypes, I mean, you have the four and the four maybe comparable characters in Rough Night and just in that kind of sense. I mean, it it makes it a very easily digestible format to have, you know, those particular character types um, like setting out a movie, which is fine. You know, that's not to say that that necessarily, you know, begs that it could be compared to Rough Night. But anyway, that was just, I did kind of think that. I had it in the back of my mind. And and also just it's interesting, this idea of women who have graduated from college 
yeah. where they spent oh, so much yeah. time together mm. and they're now semi-drifting apart doing their yeah. own thing. which is great. Of. It's like the, the frat, frat house comedies but shifted 20 years later type of yeah. thing, mm. which I did think, and I almost put this in my top three later, but I um, retracted it. Uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Union was kind of one of yeah. those in the 90s that okay. was, you know, like women reuniting after college, going to a reunion and hilarity ensues. Yeah, I mean, there were um, definitely formulaic elements in this, like Tiffany Haddish's character D- Dina. Mm. Um, she kind of is the Melissa McCarthy to Bridesmaids, Kate McKinnon to Ghostbusters or Rough Night sort of character who's like... I liked one. her. She was my favourite. I just want to go back to something, though, before we go into, you know, some of the comedy. You mentioned their five-star experience in New Orleans, which they very much have. But what did you take of that slight scene, which I think was a big mistake, actually, uh, in the movie, where they get kicked out of this five-star hotel and then, you know, briefly detour to a one star or half star hotel I can't remember that he's like flea ridden um, one of the characters says she thinks she's got scabies within uh, 60 seconds of walking in the door of this hotel room it's it's horrendous it's basically familiar to a lot of people I think but just that that is the that is the comparison you know the class comparison of you know either you can afford five star or either you can't and actually you know I forgive a lot of movies for these kinds of things but just that it made such a big deal out of it and was and then there's that kind of sight gag of this elderly john elderly john um who just reveals his penis to all of the mm. women and all of the audience and for quite a while well, and i don't know it kind of it, it evokes squeals probably from the audience as well as the characters anyway i just i didn't think it was in that poor taste i just didn't find it all that amusing to be honest and then of course you know there's a miracle and they get saved and they just get offered a five-star hotel room again yeah. so they, they don't have to go there's back to that awful lot of penis hotel. in this film i mean yeah i mean that's fine it's not subject. the penis that i was offended by no. it was just the the and i'm not offended by you know class comparisons in that kind of way i don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing but i didn't feel like it was very well scripted yeah. in this sense of how very awkward it's very American, isn't it? This idea of making it. There's all or nothing yeah. idea. And, you know, they're all, I mean, this Ryan Pierce character, she's on the cusp of, you know, making this huge deal and, you know, the you know taking her career into millions and millions of dollars, sort of insinuate that, yeah, it'll set her up for life kind of thing. And, you know, this is something that's celebrated by the film and the women in the film in a very, yeah, very, very American kind of way, which was... Very interesting, I thought. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I think the film's too long. It's 122 minutes. It doesn't need to be that long. No, I look, my, f- I love, I think about the middle of this film, I really loved because it was sort of set piece after set piece and they were really well done, I thought. Like the scene where they uh, drink too much, um, uh, what did I drink? Absinthe. Absinthe, yeah, yeah, and then start tripping. I thought that was, that was laugh out loud funny, that scene. And I don't laugh out loud in American comedies all that often, but I really, really thought that was really creatively explored. And that came after the scene where they go, buddy, from, um, they go like uh, abseiling from one side of oh, yeah, the New Orleans. Oh, yeah, lining thing. Zip lining, yeah, yeah. and um, bodily That's functions. Some and, white boy shit. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah before exactly. they partake in it themselves. Um, that was really funny. It was just sort of, it hit its stride for a bit and it was like 
super, super funny. And that was my favourite part of the movie, I think. The middle, maybe, 50 minutes. Of right, that. okay. Because I was yeah, really on board in the really beginning. I, when we were getting these introductions and she was like, yeah, I've only got chlamydia, that sort of stuff. I was like, okay, this is kind of, this is like. I thought th- the editing was really, yeah. really tight in this film, particularly in that opening. And it really got you on board. It did, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was super fast. Yeah. It was super stylized. It was really on board, you know, like the, um, the, costumes and visuals in every scene kind of fit with the next. Yeah, um, it yeah. Was it was almost great. like Tina Fey levels of gags per minute. Yeah, but yeah, then, yeah. then it slows down and has a lot of sweet scenes. And I feel like this film is actually, by the end, it's actually kind of sweeter than it is funny. Mm. And, of course, they're not going to market it that way. They're going to market it as this bawdy, raunchy, you know, I, hang, yeah. hangover type thing. I really like that. Yeah, um, you I know, the ending, The ending was a little bit soppy. Of mm. course, the focus is on the restoration of a friendship that went through a trouble patch in these 122 minutes. But money brings um, them all together. So mo- money <laughs> brings them all together because money cures all of your troubles, yeah. I guess. And yeah. you can, like, all of the external stresses of life get a lot easier when there's money. Yeah, that's true. That's a that's a I mean, one way of looking at I mean, it. Well, this is, yeah. I mean, that's what I found really interesting about the film was just how blatantly it... it Normalises selfie sticks. I had a big problem with well, normalisation yeah, well, of selfie okay, sticks. Okay, yeah, we, we can get back to that. But uh, how much it sort of echoed that American... Uh, yeah, I, I keep on coming back to the Americanness of it. But, yes, this... Everything sponsored by this is a real festival. God knows how much. But I mean, it's they probably funded. It's almost one of the prime yeah. tensions within the four of them is that one of them is going broke, mm. and another thinks that this other woman would betray her because she's going broke and she needs money. I mean, that's like a, one of the key tensions. Yeah. So that that is set up as one of the worst things that could happen to a friendship. It's based around money. Yeah, is huge. Yeah, so, yeah, that stuff I just found really interesting. I didn't dislike it, but mm. it was it was something that was really noticeable to me in the film. Yeah, but I, I mean, having said that, that money, you know, cures all ills, at the end I loved that the focus was on it being that, you know, it didn't doesn't matter if you've got an asshole husband and or you've got, mm. like, stupid boyfriends or men that only pass through your life for one night that, that women stick together. I mean, I it's soppy, but I thought it was really well done and I really loved, as you said, Andy, the dynamic between the four and I didn't think that any of the speeches were overly soppy. I just really liked it. It seemed very genuine. Yeah. The, yeah. the message in the end was not you can have it all. And this is one of the things, you know, obviously feminists of today have a problem with that kind of like phrase, you can have it all. Or I suppose it's the question more posed, like can she have it all posed mm-hmm. by all of these um, magazines and whatnot. But that that was kind of a problem for me. I was I was really uncomfortable with, with that framing of, of a woman's life as something in which she needs to like have it all and then what is all. Yeah, which is weird because the whole thrust of Ryan Pierce's uh, career is all about... Um, looking at her as a lifestyle guru, mm. and the whole thrust, the dramatic tension between them is about her massive, is you know, stems from her massive success and potential greater success, which is this whole idea of like hyper capitalization in America. Mm. And at the same time, it's all about no, it's not all about you, and you shouldn't be looking up to people, you should be looking to your friends for support and that sort of mm. stuff. So it kind of almost undoes itself in a way if you look at it too hard, but you don't I, need to, I don't think. It's yeah, a fun film. I guess it does, but it also sets up the, the possibility that a lot of women who are these lifestyle gurus are lying and are fakes, and then it says you know it, it, it posits ryan pierce as as not one of those which mm. i really like as well as as a plot device you know because there's nothing 
any further that really distances us from her as a character. In yeah, a way. yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, it's because of uh, money that, that we're now going to get uh, Girls Trip 2. They've announced yesterday. We better get Girls Trip 2. They announced it yesterday. Oh, we're getting a sequel now because it's been so successful. Well, I, and I can, I mean, I loved the performances here. I thought all four women were exceptional. Yeah. Tiffany Haddish, I'd never seen before. Yeah. Neither. Um, and I, she was a revelation to me. Well, like, she has a Netflix special, I think. So. Oh, really? Oh, I mean, yeah, as, a, comic, as a, yeah. a physical comedian, she was incredible, mm. but also just her face, the way that she used like these micro emotions, these micro movements of her eyes and lips yep. to flicker comedy through a, a really sincere moment. Mm. I thought it was amazing. She was, yeah. she was, I couldn't stop looking at her. Yeah, yeah, and then it's probably, and maybe it's not you know appropriate to comment, but uh, the fact that all these women are over forty and they've been given such a great vehicle. Tiffany Haddish is thirty-seven. Sorry, I stand corrected. I'm, but I'm but they but they all are you know around that ballpark. Yeah, definitely. and and age does become a gag at you know, later point in a similar way to um, fried green tomatoes. Oh, there's, yes. a, there's one particular scene in that movie yep. where these you, you might remember about the car insurance scene. Mm. Yeah, and basically it almost kind of takes that sentiment and just like you know uses it, maximizes it for comic effect. And I thought it did really well. I mean, well. that's what's so great about this, um, you know, this new focus and the fact that it is a movie that's doing so well is that they are all women, twenty years out of college, um, and that is that is the kind of life that we're focusing on. And it's not just a story about one woman with her sidekick in mm. regular life yeah. like mm. you know figuring out how it all works when you turn 40 mm. it's just about life and friendships about with people who happen to to be of that age on screen which is great yeah yeah um, and, and uh, obviously uh, they're african-american character women as well and mm. i thought the film's engagement with race was very interesting and really quite well done yeah i agree i love i love that ryan pierce's uh agent slash um personal assistant kind of character was a white woman i don't know her name but she reminded me a lot of Kristen week she was very funny great voice and face like so good okay yeah Yeah. um she was great and also a great physical comedian yes um it just like ticked all the boxes there were all of these silent white men in the background yeah i noticed that too um, that were like put there and not it wasn't like it wasn't like it was overdone that these were just white men there to be looked at that was all very you know kind of subtle and and nice and so i i really liked that a lot yeah yeah no um, kate walsh as a token white woman was yeah she was yeah great. yeah um particularly because in other movie scenarios you might have the you know reverse yeah yeah but i loved as well and i said this for our review of rough night i just love and i didn't particularly like all of the gross out comedy in this i didn't find it all funny necessarily like those flying scenes what are yeah they some of these anyway, scenes do go too long like, but, the, but anyway. like gross out not everyone loves gross out yeah. all the time you like it for a little bit and then you're like mm, you kind of back off but I love that it's happening and I said this in Rough Night men get to gross out like act out gross out comedy all the time and we love it or we don't comment on it because it's just a given and I love that we get women doing it now and um, a particular type of a very women kind of um, centered gross out comedy. Yeah, the propensity, um, the potential is for there to be grosser 
yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these characters, I think, than we have seen in The Hangover and, you know, etc. Um, also, shout out to, yeah, as Andy said, an excellent fruit-based, <laughs> especially grapefruit-based fellatio scene. Oh, man. Um, or a mock fellatio scene, I should say, because I'm obsessed with grapefruits I on feel like movie, in movies, as we all know. Right. And it was an excellent one to add it was, to my it's, list it's of, kind of like, like the, sexy grapefruits. The hair gel scene. There's something about Mary. There's something about Mary yeah, for our generation. Just a, wasn't that just like a you laugh and then you move on? I mean, that that was like no one talked. That was different because that was like no one talks about it. There's his hair gel and no one's mentioning it because uh, isn't that isn't that right? Well, yeah. So he goes on a date and she yeah. takes well, she takes a bit of it and puts it yeah. in her hair and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, and yeah. Then, then no one mentions it because it's too awkward. Whereas in this scene, everyone's in on the joke. Yeah, and true. Everyone is like going it's shared. for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, but it, that was kind of iconic. I feel like that hair gel scene. It's like it became this. Oh right, right, right. In the, As in, the and, and this grapefruit thing, I figure right. is going to take on a life outside of the film, like that. Quite scene possibly. Did. Yeah. Well, there might be some interesting calls to the paramedics. Um, <laughs> Were you familiar with this term? No. See, this is something. Yeah. This is something. Sexy fruit season at the movies. Mm. Um, call me by your name. Um, and I, I also just want to quickly isolate the. Um, this amazing scene where when they're like you know the sort of dramatic moment where their relationships will break down and things get serious and like how vicious that fight got and then the very next scene how they just make up and i loved the two uh how quickly the film went from one emotional extreme to the other i thought that was like a perfect depiction of what lifelong friendship is like yeah and that you need there is tension yeah. And there is this desire to repress it and to not fight and mm. to not tell your best friend that you think she's annoying sometimes because that would cause trouble. But it, eventually it gets to this point where it cannot. Where it just needs to sit yeah, over. Just, yeah. And then, but then because you have such history, you get over it. Yeah. 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 I love so I like the physicality that. between those two scenes, the tone. Mm. Like the, when they argue, it's hands in the right. face all yes. the time. Yes. It's so, and it's wonderful to see how this transformation of their, their, their physicality. And then the next scene, sitting quietly in a bar, you know, it's just. <laughs> yeah. it's I also great. just yeah. want to mention um, Jada Pinkett Smith because she mm. plays probably what in some different film scenarios would be the shit character. Like she is shy she's timid she doesn't she's not outgoing um necessarily she's got kids and she's worried about them she um lives with her mother and i love the bit where she's like i love my mother what's wrong with your mother anyway (laughs) living with um, her mother yeah that's great um and but she was so great and Mm, she was she was like feisty at times, but also she just had this attitude where she was like, I don't care what anyone thinks and I'm going to be unsure of myself at times, but then I'm also going to just bring it. I really liked it because at the beginning you kind of think, oh, is she going to be the one character who is just uninteresting Mm. in in every way? Yeah. Um, But no, not at all. No, I agree. Yeah. 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 And obviously that she was like the key part of one of the biggest gross out scenes. Um, and then the next day was just like fine with it. There was there was no like residual shame. That was amazing. Hmm. Like you know to have that in a, in a film where it wasn't a joke that was just repeated over and over and over. Hmm. Um, and I'm not thinking of any particular movie that does repeat jokes over and over, but I'm sure that there are a lot that do. Um, this didn't. It was just yeah. It was it was great. Even though I didn't think it was too long at all. Really? But, okay. Um, 
Yeah, but um, no. I thought a lot of the, the comic scenes could have been trimmed a little. Mm. Um, point made. Gags one. Didn't right. need to dwell on it. Yeah. But also, I, would, I we haven't mentioned the music yet, which was one of the highlights for me. We're seeing the clips of Neo and Common and P Diddy and Mariah Carey and Belle Biv oh, DeVoe. Mariah Carey was awesome. Yeah, and they just turn up, and there's we get a bit of Ava DuVernay just being herself. A bit of Ava DuVernay, yeah, yeah. Um, probably at an actual event. Um, yeah. And yeah, I feel like they must have just filmed this at the event, the festival. Yeah, I think so. I'm yeah. Saying that without knowing, yeah. but it seemed like. But that. Um, yeah, that was a really nice little burst of energy from some of those scenes. I thought. Yeah, yeah, I like Common. So and that I was like a great scene. Neo, man, his hats, mm. his suit. God. And a great, great credit scene too where the women are marching and then oh, yes. yeah, yeah. New Orleans parade. That was great. Too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and just having a good time and you could tell that yeah. the direction was just like just dance, your own dance style. And Queen Latifah, amazing. I love Queen Latifah. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> so I love great. them all. Yeah, great. I, I like this movie a lot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I do feel like with as with Wonder Woman though, there's conventions that were kind of holding it back to me a better film. Oh, totally. There were moments where I can't remember what it was, but it was towards the beginning that I particularly noticed. I think the um, the agent Kate Walsh made a joke, and it was quite funny. And part of the the point of the joke was that it was like an ellipsis of some kind of ruder meaning, um, and it was funny, and I laughed. And then the next line, she just explained it. And I thought this is a movie that in some ways is just trying to kind of break through but also be very conventional and sell itself to the masses. And by doing that, it was it was not so great in some points. It got a bit tiresome. Yeah, that's where it could have got a trim. Anyway, overall, I think thumbs up. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Go see it. Make it even more successful. So now that Miff Miff is over, we can look at what else is happening around Melbourne. Celebrate Studio Ghibli is a month-long season showcasing all 22 titles of the iconic Japanese animation studio. It runs at both Cinema Nova and Acme until September 24th. It's a rare opportunity to see some of the lesser-known titles, and you can find out more at cinemanova.com or acme.net.au. Also at Acme is Pablo Lorraine's ambitious portrait of the poet and writer Neruda, which is screening from September 1st to 12th. Also screening are three films tying in with the Melbourne Fashion Week. We get the documentary Yohi Yamamoto, the dressmaker, about the pioneering fashion designer. That's screening from September 1st to 10th. And Dries. Yeah, that screened at uh, MIF. Yeah. I don't know much about it. A documentary about the life and work of Italian fashion designer Dries Noten from September 2nd to 8th. And there's also a one-off screening of Traceable about Laura Siegel, the fashion designer, and that's playing on September 3rd. Meanwhile at the Asta is playing one of Eloise's favourite films of the year so far, A Ghost Story, with Jim Jarmusch's Mystery Train on September 1st. Uh, I don't know about that them tonally, but, you know, oh well. Could could give interesting insights into each film, seeing them together, so there you go. Cool. While Terry Gilliam's masterpiece Brazil was placed on the 4th. I love that movie. So do I. I would love to see it on the big screen. I, There's so much going on in those frames. Uh, fun fact, when I was like 14 or something, I went and lectured on that movie at La Trobe University. What? Hang on. Backstory. How did that happen? <laughs> I Anders. There was Anders. like this uni film club. You and star. my dad is an academic, was an academic there, so I went and checked him. Wow. Anyway, and so pontificated to a bunch of uni students about the beauty of Brazil. How did they take that, given that uh, you were like half their age? There were a few more um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, good movie. Recommend watching. And his, <laughs> I saw his finish making his Don Quixote film. I can't believe it. Finally. I can't believe So it was finally coming out. It's like, is it like 30 years? Yeah, it's a long, long oh time. Oh my God. There's a documentary, Lost in La Mancha, all about how he can't make this movie. And 
think yes. they made it. It's been confirmed. <laughs> Finished production. That documentary is like 15 years old. Yeah. Well, I think they're still in post, so I don't know, fingers cool. crossed. Okay, okay, fingers crossed. Also at the Astor is the uh, double bill of 70s Paranoia, The Conversation, and Three Days of the Condor, which is playing yes. September 6th. It's a big yes from us. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> um, also, what's happening at Cinematech? At Hello. Cinematech, some very exciting stuff. So we're currently in the midst of a Paul Verhoeven season um, this week. A double bill of Flesh and Blood, his first English language production, but not filmed in America. No, I saw that in an impressionable age. Did you? Shaped some of my concepts about exploitation cinema. About a whole lot of stuff, I bet. Yeah, anyway, so that's screening uh, on 35mm and followed by Basic Instinct. And then we have our co-presented screenings with the Melbourne Cinematheque and the Czech and Slovak Film Festival of Australia, which is starting uh, in September. So... That'll, uh, that's a couple of retrospective programs um, which you should check out. Um, and I noticed there. finishing with Anthropoid, yes. which is a Czech war film that got some fantastic reviews when it came out last year. I mean, I think it, it was released nearly a year ago in Europe. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a great festival. So. Hardly le dimanche, les parents mènent leurs enfants voir les avions en partance. De ce dimanche, l'enfant dont nous racontons l'histoire devait revoir longtemps le soleil fixe, le décor planté au bout de la jetée et un visage de femme. Uh, now we come to our parts where we share our picks from the current slate of Mubi. Um, Mubi is a video streaming subscription service that gives you a new film to watch every day within which you have a month to watch. As a listener to Cultural Capital, you can sign up to a free month of streaming by going to mubi.com slash culturalcapital and clicking watch now. Anders, what would you single out from the current slate? Uh, I'll single out, although I haven't seen it, Chris Marker's La Jetée. Uh, so Mubi is currently showing a season of the influential French filmmaker Chris Marker's work. La Jetée is one of his most well-known films, a radical sci-fi short that Mubi notes is constructed almost entirely from still images. I say short, it runs for about half an hour. It looks incredible. Marker is a filmmaker who's very uh, influential and, you know, um, a master director. So I'm really looking forward to checking out one of his key films. It's amazing. Have you seen 12 Monkeys? I have seen 12 Monkeys. Well, it's basically... Very formative? Okay. It's extremely okay. formative, yeah. Hello, what would you pick? So the other night I watched, and this is, um, as I did tweet excitedly, very much a me genre. <laughs> I watched Three Rooms in Manhattan from 1965, a Marcel Carnet film. Um, but yes, filmed in Manhattan, as the title would suggest. So this is basically about some sad, attractive people who meet in a diner and become melancholy lovers. There's kind of this really interesting and tonally differentiated opening scene where a man is left by his wife um, and then he goes to a diner and meets this other strange woman and they, they strike up a conversation and then they wander the streets at night and then they become lovers. So wander the streets of Manhattan at first as nocturnal animals and then in places like Central Park during the day there's a great jazz score and the woman played by Annie Girardot looks uncannily like Jean Moreau, who unfortunately just oh. passed away and I'm still quite sad about it. So those two things combined. Oh, and a third thing, which is that the man is played by Maurice Ronet, who was the lead in Elevator to the Gallows. Oh, yeah. Uh, Louis Mal's film. 
Um, those three things make this film quite a lot like that one mentioned from 1958. It is different, but I really loved it. It's very intense, very desperate. You have these very desperate people and you kind of just see that they align by chance. There's it, the diner scene at the beginning is great. It's amazing. It's like almost unlike anything I have seen cool. in another film kind of like this. So they're, they're sitting at this table and well, they're sitting at the bar and he orders a meal and then a Western comes on the TV. There's a TV like in the corner of the bar and they sort of look aside at the Western and look up and she says, we used, I used to watch these on TV. They play these movies like at midnight. But anyway, they, you kind of have a little bit of this horse chase with a gunfight and then it goes back to their conversation. But the sound from the Western continues throughout the scene, which is really incredible. And then it kind of returns to it. And then <laughs> when the TV gets turned off, you know that they're going to leave. Anyway, it's this great um, moment of just using like old, like you know surrounding atmosphere to paint the plot and character kind of development. Anyway, it's great throughout. There's like all of these amazing shots of a rundown New York City through windows, vistas of cityscapes. There's this great moment where a train, um, ele- the elevated train, is going by. Anyway, like it's amazing. It's awesome. really good. There's a good. Sh- quote there's two good quotes that i've just written down one is the she's playing the jukebox i think and he says all the blues you desire um i'm tired wounded even blasé which is great i think because (laughs) it just speaks to how how much they they could just be any sad people wandering the streets but they're both beautiful of course this movie sounds amazing it's so amazing yeah i want to watch it i want to watch it Again, and you can. There's still 25 days left. So. <laughs> well, Tired and uh, Blase is also the, a good term to describe the lead in uh, my pick from Movie Slate, which is Rafifi. Mm-hmm. There is a really great um, heist movie in cinemas at the moment called Logan Lucky, which is Steven Soderbergh's return. But there's nothing that can really touch Rafifi. I'm imagining both of you guys have seen it. It's about a bank heist film. It's kind of like the the grandfather of heist films. Um, it's uh, about a jewel thief called Tony who's just out of prison after a five-year stretch. And now, you know, it's very typical for people who've just gotten out of prison to be lured back, back to the life of crime for another job. But no one's really done it quite the same way as Jules Dessin's done it, did it here, I think. Uh, the whole um, film is extremely taut. It's, there's a lot of tension building. But the key scene is 32-minute silent stretch during which uh, the heist itself takes place. And this is, was so influential that it, it actually there were a bunch of copycat heists after this film Un was released. Flick. Un Flick. Un Flick is one. Yes. Yeah, good call. Well, there were some real-life heists, like jewelry stores got robbed oh. using the techniques that they used. Oh, wow, film. wow, wow. Yeah, so okay. it's like very influential, not just you know, in cinema. Francois Truffaut described Rififi as one of the worst crime novels I've ever read. Jules Dessin has made it into the best crime film I've ever seen. And it really, really holds up. Like, it's a phenomenal film. The cinematography alone is worth seeing, even if it wasn't such a, a great heist film. Sorry, I'm laughing at Andy because cinematography is one of those <laughs> oh, it is. I do for um, film bro bingo things. Anyway, which yeah. I thought he would have um, <laughs> la- uh, kind of gotten onto. Anyway, no, no it's great. It is hugely amazing. recommended. Yeah, amazing yeah. performances. I love some good hashtag cinematography. So I'm there. Glad um, ha- just uh, out of interest, have you seen the Asphalt Jungle? No. The Asphalt Jungle is John Huston's 1950 American film noir set in. Or famously, well, not famously, but famously to me, 
um, somewhere in the Midwest, but like it's basically probably set in New York City. Who knows? Anyway, it contains a very long silent heist scene, um, which Jules de Sin, I think, um, decided to then make with Fifi. Not saying that one is more superior than the other or superior to the other, but just as um, comparable kind of films, they're very interesting. Yeah. Um, I do love the way you get that sometimes. Like the way that, you know, um, Cache took that, that plot device from Lost Highway and turned it into an amazing movie that's probably better than Lost Highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a great one to see and I just wanted to mention it because yeah, call, they call. kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, Anderson did make movies in America as well, so. Hmm. So uh, there's one, oh, there's eight days left to see Rafifi, so probably a week by the time you listen to this. Do I look like Mother Teresa? Oh God, this is a tragic thing and sometimes I have a hard time dealing with it and stuff. Please send Heather to heaven and all that. Dear God, please make sure this never happens to me because I don't think I can handle suicide. Fast early acceptance into an Ivy League school and please let it be Harvard. Amen. Jesus God in heaven, why'd you have to kill such hot snatch? It's a joke, man. Jeez, people are so serious. Hail Mary, who aren't in heaven, pray for all the sinners so we don't get caught. Another joke, man. I prayed for the death of Heather Chandler many times. And I felt bad every time I did it, but I kept doing it anyway. Now I know you understood everything. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Hi, I'm sorry. Technically, I did not kill Heather Chandler. But hey, who am I trying to kid, right? I just want my high school to be a nice place. Amen. Did that sound bitchy? Um, and now we come to the final section of our podcast today, which is our top three girl gangs inspired by Girls Trip. This is not a literal list of female gangs, uh, such as Grease's The Pink Ladies, but more about films in which a group of women share a purpose. Yes. My number three film is Girlhood, Celine Sciamma's 2014 coming-of-age film, follows Mariem, a 16-year-old African-French girl living in Paris. She joins this group of girls and they form a gang of sorts. They hang out together, they steal things, um, they get into fights, they also socialise together. Overall, this is, I think, a really wonderful film that despite its serious subject matter, never feels self-serious or depressing or dramatically turgid at all. Um, And in particular, there's this fabulous scene where the girls book a motel room for a night and they sing to Rihanna's Diamonds. Um, Such a good scene. Yeah, wonderful film, uh, scene. uh, I was reminded of this film because I recently rewatched American Honey, which also features Rihanna very well. Um, yes, the filmmakers do good stuff with Rihanna. Anyway, yeah, so anyway, it's a beautiful and almost euphoric rupture in the film and it really sort of is a great demonstration of the power of popular culture and pop music. I really recommend Girlhood. It's great cool, film. thank you. Yeah, I, that is a blind spot for me. Yeah, no, it's yeah, great. It looks awesome. It's on iTunes if you cool. are so inclined. So partake, yeah, okay, thank you. What was your number three, Eloise? Heather's. Can't help but put yeah. Heather's on a girl game. to be mentioned in the movie. Yeah. Directed by Michael Lehman in 1988. Famously stars Winona Ryder as Veronica at school and then she kind of comes up against the gang of Heathers, played by Shannon Doherty, Lisanne Falk and Kim Walker. Um, obviously that sounds like a ridiculous premise, but it is basically a really, really sharp 
bitter yeah. satire of high school cliques and the high school environment and what high schoolers will and will not accept in their classmates and in the world. Also stars Christian Slater as JD modelled off James Dean. Anyway, this movie <laughs> is just super fun. Uh, it's really funny, but it's really dark. Yeah, so so you dark. can get like you could probably get super depressed watching it. It doesn't take itself seriously, I don't think at all. There's this really interesting article that came out last year, I think, on the internet somewhere was an oral history of Heather's. Did you guys read oh, it with, um, with Daniel Walter, the screenwriter? And then I believe I don't know if Winona was a part of it, but um, anyway, but some of the cast and crew were, and it was this incredible. Um, read basically. I'll put a list of that. Oh, sorry, I'll put a link to that in okay. the show notes. Great. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, it's a lot of fun, but it deals with things like suicide, depression, teenagers coming out, um, parental relationships with their children, obviously um, the dark side of being a bitch in high school, which a lot of Bitches and non-bitches in high school don't realise that, you know, these ongoing effects can can occur or blow out. Um, and so I really love it. There's my favourite line, fuck me gently with a chainsaw, mm. obviously. And also, what's your damage? Um, <laughs> oh, God, there's so many quotable lines anyway, in this film. Anyway, it influenced a whole lot of things and it's kind of its um, particular um, lexicon-influenced um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer's lexicon later on, which kind of um, took a few of these particular phrases and then um, made them more iconic, I think, or at least expanded from there. And just cheekily, because I fucking love this topic of girl gangs and I can't, I don't want to eliminate any of my choices, but I have to. But quickly, <laughs> Jawbreaker. Um, mm is an amazing kind of with what's her name Rebecca what's her name anyway sorry so Jawbreaker is a kind of a remake not a remake of Heather's but an excellent um late 90s Rebecca Gayhart Rebecca Gayhart an excellent late 90s redo of the Heather's dynamic in high school I've never seen um, that oh, yeah. yeah cool it's excellent it's much less well known but just as fun just as kind of Biting, I think from memory, I haven't seen it for over a decade. But just adding jawbreakers in there as an aside. Cool. Okay. Nice Brilliant. Um, my number three is a film we talked about on episode two of Cultural Capital, which is Denise Ergovan's Mustang, which is a 2015 Turkish-French co-production. Um, that film centres on a group of five girls who um, graduate from school and then innocently play with a bunch of boys on a beach and are confined to the orphanage in which they live and hurriedly married off by their conservative guardians. Um, it moves along really, really beautifully, this film. It's got a really great pace to it. There's a lot of emotional, dampened emotions in the film. So you can kind of really, it's really, really easy to empathise with the women in their situ- or the girls in their situation. Uh, there's a lot of really striking emotional scenes and empathy kind of just pours out of these girls, even though they're like trapped in this kind of awful situation. In this respect, the girl gang is kind of united in their need to escape from this oppressive environment, but not all of them have the fortitude to actually be able to pull it off. I th- thought that we couldn't really have this list without that because they are such a powerful girl gang even though they're so extremely vulnerable and it's very difficult to not want to jump into the screen and save them 
but there's nothing anybody can really do because they're in Turkey, <laughs> in a very conservative part of Turkey. Um, it also, like some of the other films uh, that we'll mention, is a really they're really motivated by the need to educate and better themselves, and there's a really big push for them to be able to do that. But of course, in the circumstances they are, that sort of stuff is kind of difficult to obtain. Um, I thought it was a great film. Mm, yeah, it. and if I recall correctly, fabulous final scene. Yes, yes, a lot of good, a lot of good scenes, but that final scene is a cracker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Uh, great. Well, my number two is the Bling Ring, um, <laughs> Sofia Coppola's deliciously LA 2013 drama, which is based on the real life story of a posse of wealthy high schoolers who break into the houses of LA's rich and famous. Due to their extremely privileged material conditions, this gang of four girls and a gay seem immune to all consequences of their behaviour as they listlessly rifle through the closets full of the most expensive labels and uh, clothes sort of um, known to Western consumer capitalism. Coppola's Girl Gang is the ultimate artefact of our early 2010s fame and media obsession. And I think I would... It'd be interesting to revisit this now because even though it's only four years old, I feel like four years is a lifetime in terms of how our, the online and internet and media and celebrity... Yes, yeah. ...or how all those interactions have progressed and yeah, changed. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to compare, to compare it to something like Personal Shopper, say, where mm. the, the way that they treat celebrity and communication and... Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a fascinating artefact of, of the... A sort of semi-maturing online, you know, Perez Hilton, all that kind of stuff, mm. TMZ, like when that had established but had not yet consumed our um, media, the narratives that sort of surround Hollywood. It's a, it's a really great film. I really like it. There's a lot in there. Well, we might not be able to revisit the whole thing, but we can revisit a scene now. Try it with your hair back. Oh, yeah, that looks classy. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Leopard and zebra? What? Yeah, you can't have leopard and zebra. You gotta choose one. <laughs> okay, fine. What else? At least I don't look like I'm 35. Oh, harsh. Come on, let's go to Paris's. I wanna rob. I didn't know what they were doing. I thought they were my friends. It all comes back to like bad choices. Who you have is your friends. And I know the truth will come out. I want to rob. <laughs> <laughs> my number two is nine to five. Can't help it. Got mm, it. I love this film. It's so good. Mm. I've watched it so many times. I can't stop watching it. Basically, sounds a little too over the top, but it's real people. Um, directed by Colin Higgins, who also directed another film that I was considering putting on this list, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, mm. with Dolly Parton, as well as this whorehouse, Madame. The, the place where they live is called The Chicken Ranch. It's where w- women unite to keep their brothel running and then empower themselves. Obviously, there's all sorts of, you know, issues, issues, hashtag to do with that. But it's great fun. And at the end, it's just Dolly Parton and a bunch of gals having a great time together and deciding that they're going to run their own lives. And that's what it's all about. But 
nine to five is also about women kind of operating within the system, I suppose, and deciding that they're sick of men who don't appreciate them. Obviously, Lily Tomlin is in this prime position of knowing that she knows that the people above her know that she deserves to get a promotion, but they're not giving her one. They're giving the unqualified male one instead. And so she just has enough of it. Hijinks ensue. I don't think I need to explain this movie. If you haven't seen it, you probably know the gist. Dolly Parton wrote the song for this movie. My, I showed it to a friend a few years ago and she was so emotionally overwhelmed by it. Um, and really sad that these three women, little Tomlin, Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda had, made this movie for us, for women to come forth in um, this oppressive uh, capitalist society and um, make waves, but we haven't done it. We haven't gotten so far and I wonder why that is. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, this film is from 1980 and pretty much everything they're talking about is like yeah. possibly even more, still more relevant yeah. in 2017. Yeah. 27 years ago. Yeah. It's kind yeah, of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we've come place, come, you know, certain miles. Um, and Sorry. then lost some ground as a result of hashtag the patriarchy. But it's such great fun and the fashions are amazing and I want to watch it right yeah, now. Yeah, it just ticks along so, so far. It's like so well written. It's so beautifully edited. It's, yeah. it's a yeah. cracker of a film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. all the lines just do exactly what they need. There's no fluffing about. It's a winner. Uh, actually, my number two is from a similar era because when I thought of girl gangs, when we put this idea together, my first thought was to turn to rock and roll bands because that's this is there are so many great films in which music is like a uniting theme for for women, and so I contemplated the Runaways, Grease, and Grease Two, and but nothing I've seen has really come close to Lou Adler's nineteen eighty two film, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. And this is like a very this for years and years and years for decades. This film was almost impossible to find. It was buried pretty much. You know, it had a very limited release in a cinema in Denver, I believe, and then it kind of died. And then it would occasionally turn up on late night on cable in America. And then in two thousand and five, Sydney International Film Festival screened it, and it ran in Acme uh, in two thousand and eight as part of a festival of punk movies and that sort of stuff. So essentially, the, the plot is. Diane Lane, who plays uh, Corinne uh, Burns, or Corinne Third Degree Burns, as she's called, a 17-year-old whose mother has died from cancer and she works a really bum job. And during an interview with a local radio station, she talks, she opens up about how crap her life is and about how crap the, the place she works at is. She gets fired, but she becomes this kind of local celebrity. And in a follow-up interview, she has, says some more kind of you know edgy punk sort of stuff and mentions offhand that she has a garage rock band with her sister, uh, who's play, Who's called Tracy, played by Marion Cantor, and her cousin called Jessica, played by Laura Dern, who was I think seventeen at the time. She sued for emancipation so that she could take part, take this role. Laura Dern. Laura wow. Dern. Yeah. The band have never actually played together or even really exist, but they're signed to a lo- by a local promoter who, who comes across this, you know, publicity burst, and they put on a support act with a band called the Looters, who opened for an aging metal band called Metal Corpses. And the first night on the tour, the guitarist of the Metal Corpses is found dead in a bathroom, so they leave the tour and the looters become the headline act and now the stains are opening for them. And so instantly male journalists focus on the fact that they can't play their instruments, they can't write songs, they are basically um, like useless. But then all the women, female journalists, love the antisocial behaviour and they perceive all these rants that Corinne goes on as being these calls for female empowerment and then the stains are now branded the new face of feminism. 
Um, and so they get more attention from this. And then girls across the country start dyeing their hair to look like Diane Lane. And Diane Lane's, I'll attach a photo to at some point because she looks really killer. It's almost like a spinal tap sort of thing where they, as they tour across the country, the band falls apart, but they all kind of also realise themselves. So the looters are played by Paul Simon and the bassist from The Clash, um, Steve Jones and Paul Cook from The Sex Pistols and fronted by a teenage Ray Winston. So it's like this really, really, it's like an amazing, it's ridiculous actually who's in this film and why it's not better known. So it's this really raw, really kind of rough film, but it's also like really, really true to the energy of everything. It's a really missing, a key missing cultural touchstone between punk and riot girl. And it's a fantastic example of a film that kind of existed in the early 80s, but then disappeared really quickly and would have had a very different story if it hadn't been quite so um, edgy. I thought I didn't like Diane Lane. But I just looked her up and I now want to be this person. Oh, yeah, Corinne um, Stein. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, um, she, yeah. That's my it's, vote for the yeah. movie. I haven't seen it, but I've seen the pictures, people, and you want to go there. Oh, yeah, yeah cool. Awesome. Anyway, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Steins. If you can, it has actually turned up on Netflix, so it may be viewable in a way that it was never before. Right. You're fired. I need the money. Corinne Burns, what are you going to do? My name is not Corinne Burns. Oh, what is it? It's third degree Burns. I'm the lead singer and manager for the Stains. It has become clear to several thousand very young women, inspired by an unrecorded rock and roll band with see-through blouses and white stripes in their hair, that life is to be lived right now. You are going to be really good. Can't explain it. What it really amounts to is girl dropouts who are using the media. She said things that I've always wanted to say, and I haven't been able to. We're the stains, and we don't put out. What the bling ring was to the early 2010s, Charlie's Angels was to the early 2000s. Yes! <laughs> um, oh Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, and Cameron Diaz star as the titular angels, who kick butt and crack wise in extremely stylish action scenes that look like they're direct ripoffs of The Matrix, which came out the year before. The, this is the best film, I think, that McGee has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love this movie. I really love this movie. There's an easy rapport among the leads. They've got a real sparkling chemistry. The dialogue is really snappy and witty and they really sell it well and there is an extremely idiosyncratic turn from Crispin Glover yeah it's a wonderful it's just it's so rare to see well shot action in Hollywood movies these days but this the action in this I think is incredible I think the chemistry between between the three women is just like really overwhelming it's such a fun film I love it bring back Cameron Diaz Bring back Cameron Diaz. She's great. She was. Yeah. She's great. She's such a good comedian. She is. No, I agree. Um, and I would say bring back Lucy Liu, but she is in sure. Elementary. Elementary. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but maybe put her in something better. Anyway, sorry to hijack your no, no, Charlie's Angels combo, all. but all the women are amazing. Yeah, they yeah. are. And the, yeah. yeah, it's just really well shot and uh, 
Great turn from Tim Curry as well. Yes. Actually, the Smalling cast is fantastic. Yeah, it's just, it's really, it's a really well-made film. And some of the CGI is probably a bit dated, but that's okay. It's it's still really good. I was just, what was Cameron Diaz in recently that she was really good in? Uh, well, shout out to Cameron Diaz in The Counselor from 2013, the Ridley Scott movie. But um, oh god, I love that film. Really? I really do. You're the only person on earth who's I defending this film. I really love The Counselor. I think it's really well made. I've written at length about how good it is. I'll try and find <laughs> where I wrote it. Um, yeah, it's completely nuts, but it's fun. Anyway, uh, oh yeah, that scene with her in the car is. <laughs> I can't believe you're defending the thinking of Sex Tape. She was very funny in Sex Tape, which is a fairly middling comedy. But she saved that movie um, for sure. Yeah, no, she's great. I love Cameron Diaz. Same. So, yeah, Charlie's Angels. Due for a rewatch, I think. I I do want to say that I think we're curating a cultural capital 24-hour movie marathon right now. Mm. Um, We are. That we should hold at a later date, but all of these movies should be included. Yeah. (laughs) Can you make it a Cinematech special event? If only Do I could. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, especially the counselor, please watch that movie. No. <laughs> All right. It's really good. Okay, I'll link, okay. I'll link to your essay in the show notes. <laughs> My number one, and I had a really hard time once I kind of thought of this movie, I started thinking of all of these other pre-code movies with a bunch of badass women just not giving any shits about what men say about them and all hanging out together. Um, Anyway, I also realised that all of my choices are from America, but I just can't help it sometimes, you know. I'm so appalls, but also soz, not soz. Hashtag sorry, not (laughs) So anyway, this film um, that I have chosen is Ladies Must Love, directed by E.A. DuPont from 1933. And I don't know to what extent E.A. DuPont actually had all that much to do with this movie's success. Um, it screened at Il Cinema Ritrovato in Italy this year that I saw it. Uh, it was a restoration. This is great fun. It's about four women who share an apartment in Park Avenue. They're all showgirls of one sort or another and they all um, piece by piece get fired and can't afford their rent anymore. But they continue to live there. They just sort of say, I'm not going to move out. But anyway, it's this ridiculous apartment. It's so, you know, it's funny we were talking about, you know, class kind of commentary in Girls Trip. This, I mean, all pre-code and like a lot of kind of classical Hollywood movies just paid no heed at all to the specifics or the class struggles apart from, you know, you are either poor and on the street um, and are struggling or you were rich by by no means at all. Anyway, they live in this ridiculous apartment with all sorts of furniture and beautiful adornments. They all own furs. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, the premise of the film is that they um, all sign this contract that because they're fired and poor, the first one of them who shacks up with, well, that's vulgar, isn't it? First one who hooks a man will share all of his money with the other three of them who are without men. Anyway, (laughs) so there is this whole thing about women being awesome together, but of course... What they what they hang on is the the whole you know heterosexual kind of union mm, yeah and the patriarchy taking care of the women um, but they're maneuvering in their own way to to take advantage of it I suppose you would say anyway it's a it it is as many pre codes are quite a sharp social satire um, all of the 
actresses and the four women are played by Sally O'Neill, Dorothy Burgess, Mary Carlisle and June Knight. You can tell that they're all aware of what they're saying and all of what their lines mean. As I said, yep, little class sensitivity. It's only a slightly feminist ideals they're gold digging in some ways but also i there is i am forgiving of gold diggers in these movies because obviously there's the depression and there's the everyday struggles and the fact that women can't be independent they just can't be independent unless they're poor and they need to be independent because to make a living um and so um that's very interesting Anyway, there's great scenes with like some early kind of stage performances, um, not quite on par with the Busby Berkeley stuff, but you know of that kind of um, social critique um, in their in their presentation. Anyway, fabulous lushness in this movie. The costumes, jewelry are amazing. There's this great scene as we saw Girls Trip had a scene where they all had this big fight and said all of their woes to each other there's a scene where they destroy their park avenue apartment and they throw all their furniture at each other (laughs) anyway it's very funny um it was a great film so entertaining only short but like it just packs so much in as so many of these movies do in fact i say so many some of them are very slow and deliberate but this is great fun i don't know if it's available to see anywhere um because it was a restoration but it's stuck in my mind most certainly. And I'm putting it here because I love pre-codes and I'm not sorry. <laughs> well, I do love the fact that we're kind of shining lights on overlooked films in this list, which mm. is like a really good thing, I think. Yeah, apart from my other two, which are like very much not overlooked, but well, this one is. Yeah. So there you go. My number one certainly is. Um, it, kind of, it kind of ties in a little with what you were saying about um, women feeling like they're doomed to marry for money and that's mm. the best that they can hope for. This is kind of fuels uh, my number one, which is a 1998 film, which goes by three different names in three different territories. In Australia, it was released under the name The Hairy Bird. Yes. Have you seen this? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, because you're like the first person I've met who's seen this. Oh, wow. Yeah, and in America, it was called All I Want to Do, and in the UK, it was called Strike. This film opens with the credit line, this is a film by everyone who worked on it. Great. Which is like instantly kind of gets rid of the whole male auteur sort of thing, and you know that you're going to be in for a good time because it's written and directed by a woman called Sarah Kernachan who uh, it was kind of brought in to, to flesh out female characters in films. So mm. she, wrote, she co-wrote uh, Nine and a Half Weeks. She's worked on a bunch of documentaries about female, women pioneers. She's won two Academy Awards for documentaries, making mm. one in the 70s, one in the 90s. And she's also released like five albums of singer-songwriter material on RCA Records. So she's like a, okay. she's a, kind of an amazing person. So anyway, um, Miramax decided to change the name because the hairy bird was deemed too rude because it's used as a euphemism for the penis during, throughout the film. But um, it's basically about... But not in Australia. No, Australia was the only territory in which it was okay to run with the title. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure why. So, and the second credit is 1963, which is our setting. So it uh, tells the story of a girl called Odette, who's played by Gabby Hoffman, and she's a 16-year-old whose parents have just discovered she's planning to have sex with her boyfriend. I love Gabby Hoffman. This is her shining moment. This wow. is like the greatest role she had. Um, so she's sent to an all-girls boarding school to, like, get, to be straightened out. And uh, as soon as she arrives, every single expectation you have about, you know, boarding schools and teenage girls that you've seen from other movies around the 90s and the 2000s is subverted. So there's no cliched nerd, there's no bad girl or good girl or newbie or sort of, you know, haunting you who's going to be the person that is going to be the, the audience's introduction to this world. 
So um, this film was based on Sarah Kernahan's own personal experiences at an upper-class boarding school, and, and it's a film. It's a school that went co-ed shortly after she left, and this is kind of informs the whole the film. Is that you not only get this whole, you know, introduction to this affluent uh, boarding school, but then they find out partway through um, that the film is the school is going to go co-ed, and so this is a cause for a, like a strike or a riot essentially. So it, this, um, she doesn't have the, like, the flashy gags per minute thing like Tina Fey. The writing in this film is um, more about projecting honesty and a toughness and it's surprisingly risque as well as being sweet. So there's a lot of talk about bodily functions, there's a lot of talk about guys and about sex and that sort of stuff, but it's all done in this really kind of edgy but sweet way. I don't quite know how she managed to pull it off. So Odette, shortly um, after arriving, joined, uh, joins a subversive group called the Daughters of the American Ravioli which is based on the place that where these girls hide, which is above a kitchen where they've found these whole supplies of tinder ravioli, which they eat. And they have a catchphrase, which is no more little white gloves. So it's this kind of proto-feminist group. Tweety is the girl who's one of the members, played by Heather Matazoro, who's from Welcome to the Dollhouse. Yes, great yeah. performance. Yes, yeah, yeah. so she's really, really great. She's the one that discovers that the school is going to go um, co-ed for funding reasons. And the gendering of school funding suddenly becomes this huge thing. So the, the headmistress is played by Lynn Redgrave. And so even though the film is overtly a comedy... I've forgotten that. There's this one amazing. amazing scene with Lynn Redgrave just basically you know, does a law dump on the gendering of school funding and how screwed up it is that female wow. female schools don't get as much money as male schools because women don't go on to earn as much as men so Amazing. they can't you know, be the alumni that they need to be able to survive. Um, Kirsten Dunst plays the lead role as Verena von Stefan and her and Maureen Hayes kind of lead this revolution. Um, Vincent Carthasia, who's Pete Campbell from Mad Men, leads a local gang called the Flat Critters. Uh, Rachel Lee Cook plays a bossy campus monitor. Uh, and the closing credit song is sung by Glenn Close. What? Yeah, so, and that song is about um, slamming her boyfriend's penis in a car door. Oh, my God. But it's done in this fantastic do-wop Glenn style. Close, live forever. Yeah, well, she's she, amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> so, she, was a, she was a schoolmate of um, Sarah's, so which cool. is how she kind of wound, brought her into this. Oh anyway, it's like barely – you can barely find this anywhere. As far as I know, it hasn't turned up on a streaming service yet. I've only seen it because I had access to a DVD copy. I don't even know if the DVD is any longer available. I wonder where – I saw it in the 90s. When did it come out? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah 98. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I saw it at the cinema or on a VHS, probably, you know, from a video store. Yeah, because it totally flopped on release. It's, there's a, a few essays I found online where people are going, oh, my God, this is the undiscovered feminist gem of the 90s. This is actually better than Clue. It's better than Mean Girls, which I don't know if it is, but it's, that's the closest thing is that it just totally subverts It'll all this sort of stuff. It'll have to be available somewhere. It's totally like, you know, I hate this term, but like, you know, a cult kind of teen movie yeah is it though yeah because i feel like there's a whole bunch from that era like can't hardly wait and that sort of stuff that didn't really do that well when they were released but can't later hardly on. wait yeah but it's movie. also it being given the name all i want to do shortly after cheryl crow had that hit of the same name mm-hmm. and given the cover which is like a bunch of girls against some bright colors just kind of throws it into the whole post clueless you know um landfill sort of thing which was happening with all these movies that came out around that same time like you know, 13 and... And Jawbreaker. And Jawbreaker and these sorts of other ones. Anyway, this is like head and shoulders above any of those. And I put it up there with Clueless and um, Mean Girls. Cool. I'd forgotten all about that, Andy. Thank you for reminding me. It's such an amazing film. film. I watched it twice today and cried both times. I can't work out why it's not better known. Yeah, it's just remarkable. It's on my... You guys have both given me many films to watch this episode. This is good. Mm. Great this, is, this is why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you guys have other films that didn't quite make your top three? Well, I already squeezed mine yes, in. Yes, you did. Yeah. Cheekily, so... <laughs> Um, well, I would. I watched Jul- Josie and the Pussycats for research purposes uh, today. Oh yes, which because it's very timely because there's an event next month at the Ace Hotel in LA, 
where um, they're regrouping the band are getting oh, back I together. Saw that. You're getting the singer from Letters to Cleo who sang all the, the songs in the film and she's going to be performing. They're putting out a seven inch of Du Jour. Oh Great. my God. You know, um, anyway, so it's, yeah, it's a fantastic experience and yeah. I wish I could be there. I have enough, also haven't seen that since it was out at the movies. It's so. brilliant. Oh my God, it's aged so well. It very, very nearly made my top three, but I was like, it's a bit too many films from the last couple of decades. Mm. Mm. But <laughs> um, it's a I'd, great film. Uh, speaking of uh, too many films, that are from the last two decades. Uh, shout out, a shout out to Spring Breakers. Yes. Um, yes. Great. Which <laughs> what the bling ring was for the early two. Anyway, it's from, yeah, it's from the same um, same era, same, and speaks directly to its cultural moment. I think. Anyway, um, and I had enough one. Oh my god! Bring it escaped. on! Bring it on! Oh yeah, yeah, bring it on! Bring it on! Yes. Which just dropped out of my list. But yes, we'll watch that movie anytime, anywhere. Yeah. If you haven't already seen it, do find it. Mm. Yeah, I uh, nearly. I thought of the women of Themyscira from Wonder Women. As far as girl gangs go, they were pretty amazing. They, they were pretty amazing. They, yeah, that was a whole culture, functional culture. Yeah, like, they had no need for dudes. Um, also, First Wives Club has mm. some amazingly good writing in it. Incredible characters, great acting. True. Although, as I said to Andy, my character in that movie is Stockard Channing, and she is not really in their club. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's. I really liked it, and I also really liked the, the women from 1939. But it's not quite girl gangish enough, even though there is some female conniving that happens when they go to Reno for a there divorce. Is some conniving. Yeah, some excellent conniving. Mm. That film is worth mentioning because it has 130 speaking parts and no men. No men at Although all. Although men are the subject of almost every conversation, I think. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's uh, worth seeing if you haven't already seen it. There's some great acting in that from Joan Crawford, especially. Well, that was great. I had a thoroughly good time talking about these movies with you guys. Me too. I hope you yeah, listeners got something out of it. That was um, good fun. <laughs> we'll see you next fortnight. Yes. Um, if you haven't already um, followed us or friended us on Facebook, you can find us under The Cult Cap Pod on Twitter and The Cultural Capital Podcast on Facebook, or you can email us at culturalcapitalpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.